Hey, thanks for joining us here today. We are finishing our series on the book of Philippians. Now, each sermon within this series can be used as a standalone, but they function really well when you take in the entire series. And we're focusing on the idea of finding joy. Like it's something we all need in life. We all need joy. So where do we find it? And, and what are the things that we need to do to make sure that we're most likely to experience it? So if you have your Bibles with you, I want you to turn with me to Philippians chapter 4. Uh, we're going to be looking at verses 10 to 23, really focusing in on verses 10 to 20. Uh, Philippians chapter 4, verse 10 to 23, and we're going to be reading verse 10 together today. If you don't know where the book of Philippians is in the beginning of your Bible, there is a table of contents. People worked hard to put it there, so just don't be ashamed to use it. Philippians chapter 4, verse 10, here's what it says. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm just going to pause there, we're going to pray, and then we're going to dive further into things. Lord God, I thank you so much for our time together. I thank you that we have this opportunity to look into your word with, um, with eyes open, ears open, hearts open. And Lord, as we're looking into your answer to what the secret to contentment is, I pray, Lord, that we would be a people of understanding and that we wouldn't just simply be hearers of the word, but we would be doers of the word. In your name I pray. Amen. So do you ever find yourself wanting more? Um, and, and, and choose whatever it is. I mean, I, I certainly find that uh, there are times where, let's say I'm on a vacation and I just want more time there. I, I just want more time away or more relaxing. Uh, maybe it's a type of food that I want. And I just want more of it. And the reason often that we want all of these things more is because we're gaining some measure of good or pleasure out of it. And so I wonder if sometimes, though, uh, there are things we want more of that are in a different category. Not the stuff that's actually just good for us. Like vacations are good for us. Uh, food is good for us. We're, it's okay to enjoy food. But there's this other lane where there are things that we want more of um, that, that perhaps we shouldn't because it leads to a life of discontent, right? It's always chasing the more. It makes me wonder if I actually know personally whether or not, uh, like what true contentment actually is whenever I find myself in the space of wanting more. And so I would ask you, would you like to develop true contentment? Like to actually be content in life. Like if someone said to you, or someone actually has said, a contentment has been praised more and practiced less than any other condition in life. You hear that? Contentment has been praised more and practiced less than any other condition in life. There's a story of an old bishop, and we're talking like early church days. We don't know exactly who this is ascribed to, but it kind of goes like this. When... Uh, asked about contentment, what the secret to contentment was, he says, it consists of nothing more than making a right use of my eyes. In whatever state I am, I first look up to heaven and remember that what my principal business is, and that is to get from here to there. Then I look down upon the earth and I call to mind how small a place I shall occupy in it, when I die and I'm buried. 
I then look around in the world and observe what the multitudes there are who are in many respects more unhappy than myself. And thus I learn where true happiness is placed, where all of our cares must end, and what little reason I have to complain. If someone said to you they had the secret to contentment, would you be interested? Would your ears perk up? Would your eyes kind of focus in a little bit more? And if they were willing to share it with you, would you sit with them? As we come to the end of our study in the of, uh, Philippians, we notice that Paul has a declaration that he has discovered the secret to being content and that he was willing to share that secret with the Philippians and actually with us. Paul's discovered that contentment comes from a trust in our spiritual realities rather than a focus on our physical circumstances, right? It's a trust in our spiritual realities rather than a focus on our physical circumstances. And he mentions two realities, two spiritual realities in which we must place our trust. The first one um, would be like if you ask the question, like, where does contentment come from? It, it comes from putting our trust in the unfailing power of God. So if God is all-powerful, then His power doesn't fail, and so we put our trust in His unfailing power. Uh, verses 10 to 13 of Philippians chapter 4 say it this way, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. And then verse 13, one of our favorite passages, just coming out of, out of this, right? And he says, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Now, Paul deliberately uses some words here. He deliberately uses the word secret and content. These are important words in his day. They were words that were commonly used of a group of people who were called the Stoics uh, and practitioners of mystery religions. The word it means literally, like the word, uh, like the word content, literally means self-sufficient. In other words, uh, it has the idea of independence, the lacking of need or aid or help. And this word is used by a group called the Stoics at the time. It was considered by them to be kind of the essence of all virtues. The it was a doctrine that says this, and I quote, Man should be sufficient unto himself for all things, and able by the power of his own will to resist the force of circumstances. In other words, um, in and of yourself, you should be able to find the wherewithal to be able to deal with whatever circumstances come your way and not be impacted negatively by them. Uh, in other words, in terms of how you view the world around you, how you view yourself, how you view others. So you are literally, you're self-sufficient, you're independent of these circumstances. One of the most famous philosophers was a man named Seneca, and he said this, he says, the happy man is content with his present lot, no matter what it is, and is reconciled to his circumstance. Now, you could say that these were sort of the ancient preppers of the day. In other words, whatever was going to come their way, they were going to be ready for it not willing to rely on anyone for their needs, and they lived a very minimalist life, and they tried not to complain. But Paul isn't advocating for every man is an island kind of mentality. See, the Stoics would say, 
that not even a God should have influence over your circumstances. This is the power of self, your own ability to be able to walk through things. And, and so Paul's not advocating for that island mentality. And Paul, like all of us believers, had, ground, had a grounding for his contentment. His inner and outer peace was based in the Lord. And that's why he didn't trust in his abundance when he had it and didn't complain when he didn't have it. Like when there was scarcity or where there was abundance, he didn't complain. Why not? Well, because he trusted in the Lord. If he trusted in himself, there would be quite a bit of opportunity to complain and quite a bit of opportunity to pursue more. Um, unless you were trying to lean into the stoic way of thinking, but the stoic way of thinking always finds itself in a place of loss because there is no contentment out of just pursuing the things of self and being self-reliant. So what Paul had discovered is that contentment is something that must be learned. It's not something that comes naturally or automatically to us. And Paul learned where true commitment, uh, contentment is found. So the problem I'd say that most of us have is, is that we keep looking for contentment in all the wrong places. We do. We just we say the weirdest things. Like if I just had this, I would be happy, right? These kinds of things. But, but Paul learned something far different from that. He actually learned that to be content, regardless of who he was with or what positions he held or what positions he didn't have or possessions he didn't have, he was able to be content because it wasn't centered on him. Paul reported that there were times in his life and ministry when he had more than enough. And there were times when he was in need and he went hungry. But regardless of his circumstances, whether they be good or whether they be difficult, he had learned that he could do all things through Christ who strengthened him. So there's the difference, really, between what Paul is talking about in terms of finding contentment and what the Stoics would have been talking about. The Stoics find contentment within self, and Paul says, no, 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 the power that I have to be content comes from someone who is outside of me in terms of an agent acting upon me and the Holy Spirit within me, but, but it, is the, it is God who strengthens me, Christ who strengthens me for all of these things instead of just my own inner strength. And that was the secret to contentment. And so we find then that there was a couple of lies that, that we tend to lean into, believe that they manipulate us. The, the devil wants us to believe these two lies. And the first one is to believe that uh, things make a person happy. If I just had this nice house, if I just had this car, if I just had this neighborhood, if I just had this country, if I just had this climate, well, this bank account, whatever it is, it's that things make me happy. And so that's one lie that he wants us to lean into. Now, of course, you know the dangers of that lie. If things make you happy, then what happens when the newer, better, bigger thing comes along? Do you need to get rid of the thing that you had in order to get that, in order to be happy? It is this chasing of the carrot that he wants us to lean into. The second lie would be that he wants us to believe that all we need is found within ourselves. You know, if you just find out who the inner you is instead of lean into the one who created you, who defines you and says who you are and proclaims these incredible things over you, which is so much better than the search for the inner us because the search for the inner us could lead us to a place of narcissism, lead us to a place of endless pursuing 
And, and you truly do find rest with Christ when you learn what He designed us to be. Both of these lies are false, and Paul had discovered that the real source of contentment was the Lord. He discovered that he wasn't self-sufficient. To be self-sufficient is to be independent of God, and we all need God, right? Like there's, we can't save ourselves, and so we need Him. We, like without God, like think about this for a moment, just the, the simplest thing. Apart from God, we actually die. Why? Because He sustains His creation. So the fact that we breathe air is a grace of God. And if there were no God, there'd be no air, and we'd be dead. So no matter how we think about it, God is the sustainer of all things, and because He's the sustainer of all things, we rely on Him. Whether we like that or not, that's irrelevant. That's the truth. And so no matter what we're dealing with, in life, we, we, we need to come to a place where we figure out that, yeah, actually, you know what? I can't be self-sufficient. I need to be Christ-dependent. Paul learned that no matter what might be ahead, Jesus was sufficient to carry him through it. And I think that's a really good posture for us to have. It, because if we believe that Christ is able to carry us through things, then that idea of worry or the anxiousness that we have in life will take over, right? Like if, if we have no belief that Christ can carry us through things, then, then all the worries of life are going to take over us. But if we do believe that Jesus is sufficient, if we do believe that Jesus can carry us forward through the things of life, then all of a sudden that anxiety, yeah, we don't need to worry about things. We can pray, we can pray with confidence, and we can know that He's going to empower us to live through the things that He causes us to live through. The powers that be can take everything away from a person but they cannot take away a person's faith in the unfailing power of, of God. So trusting in the unfailing power of God brings contentment. It's a byproduct. You know, we, we, if we only focus on the issue of contentment, we miss the broader conversation. And the broader conversation is what do we do with our understanding of who God is, the fact that He is in charge of all things, in control of all things, that He is all-powerful. If I have rest and faith and trust in that, then I can be content in the life that I have. So the first point would be that we need to trust in the unfailing power of God. The second thing that He would want us to look at uh, as He's writing, to the book of, uh, writing the book of Philippians is that we need to put our trust in the unchanging promise of God. So we rest in the power of God and we trust in the promise of God. Philippians chapter 14, uh, sorry, chapter 4, verse 14 to 20, say it this way. Um, he goes on and he says, Yet it was, for, it was for good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with, with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia... Not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except only you. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than, more than once when I was in need. Not that I desired your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. 
And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of His glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. And so this unchanging promise of God is what He will is that He will meet all our needs according to His glorious riches in Christ Jesus. It's important that we understand that, that God doesn't promise to meet our, you could say, our greeds. There's a big difference between our greeds, which are in fact actually our wants, and what our needs actually are. There's no promise to meet our wants or our greeds in that sense, but there is promise to meet our needs. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus told us not to worry about food and clothes because God knows that we need them. That's Matthew chapter 6, verse 28 to 32. So this is kind of the category of needs. You don't got to worry about that because God's got you covered. And then Jesus concluded, but seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So how will God meet our needs is varied. But however God does it, whether through our work, whether through for the gifts of others, or it, it's just that it ultimately comes from God. Our ability to work comes from God. The gifts that we receive from others are actually them uh, being prompted by God to do something in our favor. Someone said, God gives every bird its food, but he doesn't throw the food in the nest. The Apostle Paul understood that the Lord's provision, understood the Lord's provision, and he trusted that God would meet his needs. And so because of that, he was able to find a place of contentment. When the Lord gave him much, Paul was content. When the Lord gave him little, Paul was content as well. So Paul's attitude could be summed up with this quote, I am always content with whatever happens, for I know what God chooses is better than what I choose. And so I'm wondering if any of us need to kind of share in that attitude. It's certainly not an easy one, but I, but I do believe it's the right one. Can we receive the Lord's provision, whatever it is, and be content with the Lord's provision, whether it be much or little? Or do we pursue provision? That's the secret to contentment. Trusting that the Lord will give what I need and being satisfied with what He gives. Instead of looking at our neighbor and saying, I want what they have. Or, Lord, don't I deserve this or deserve that? Look, like God's going to take care of you. And he'll do that through others, and he'll do that through opportunities for you to work and those kinds of things in terms of physical needs. But he's got you. You want to look at the advice about this matter. Paul wrote to Timothy, his son in the faith. He writes in 1 Timothy 6, verse 6 to 8, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it, but if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Okay, so if you have food and clothing, are you content? Or do you live in a place of discontent because you're pursuing wants? Those are different things. And it's pretty straight truth, isn't it? It's a simple truth. We enter this life with nothing, we leave this life with nothing. And if our simple needs are met, like food, clothing, shelter, then there's a call to us to be content and not to be distracted by the pursuit of more. It's the opposite of more and better and faster. Unless I have the nicest and the newest, then I'm not a happy camper, right? But the greatest gain is not getting everything a person could imagine. No, the greatest gain is godliness. 
It's a spiritual relationship with the Lord. It's a contentment, being thankful and satisfied with who I am and what I have. The Hebrew writer said this about contentment in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5 and 6. Keep your life, listen to this. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? Did you notice that contentment has to do with a relationship to God? Where we depend on his presence and his assistance? That's the secret to this contentment thing here. It's not a reliance on self to pursue more things. It's a dependent on God, dependence on God to pursue that relationship and have from him whatever it is that we would have. So here's some very practical suggestions on becoming a more content person. How about this one? Refuse to compare yourself with others. Why is it that we tend to compare ourselves with other people who have more than we do, um, rather than people who have less than we do? Why are we doing this comparative? One of the surest ways to make yourself miserable and discontent is to compare yourself with those who have more than you. That is one of the surest ways to compare ourselves with those who have more than us. Third one would be this. It is easier to find someone who has a bigger income, bigger house, gets better grades, better promotions, is maybe better looking or taller or thinner or better proportioned or whatever. Our comparative language has a tendency to compare ourselves with the ones that we think have more. Let's not do that. Let's not compare ourselves with others. Let us be content with how God has wired us and made us. Number two, love people the way they are, not as you would like them to be. No, we got to love people as they are because trying to change them will only make everyone miserable. You know that. Whether you've had someone try to change you or you've tried to change someone else, you know that just, just misery that comes along with that. Tons of conflict. And the only way any of us are going to change and grow is if we are loved, accepted, and appreciated, even in our imperfect state, because we will not be reaching that perfect state until we get to heaven. Now, let's clarify this. This is not talking about whether or not we hold each other to account to the biblical values that we are to hold. We certainly hold each other to account. We call each other on sin, but always for the purpose of moving people towards life rather than repeating the sin. So we love people the way they are, not as we would like them to be. Number three, accept things as they are, not as you would like them to be. There are many things that can't change. We got to learn to accept those things. Like I am never going to be six foot one. Okay. I got to accept that. that. That's something that's just not going to change. And so rather than looking at myself in a self-deprecating way, I need to accept, look, Lord, this is the way you made me. And that's okay. Wishing that something was different and refusing to be at peace with the way things are only makes us discontent. So the things you can't change, Learn to accept so you can be content with those things. The things that can change, which really is us, let's pursue those things in a godly way. Ultimately, we're not going to be content with who we are, with who others are, and how things are to be around us. Um, if we're not going to be content with those things, then we're just ultimately rejecting God. Because He's the one who put us in these spaces, in these times, in these places.
And being critical of what God is doing or has done tends to be the thing that comes out of our mouths, whether we realize it or not. When I'm critical of my community, I'm failing to recognize that God put me there. Like, let's think about this. You are where you are because God placed you with these people in this time, in, in this location for purpose. Don't complain about these things. Maneuver in these things. So let's take a look at what we actually learned here today. Contentment comes from trusting in the spiritual resources of God rather than focusing on the physical circumstances of self. That's the first thing. The second thing would be, regardless of the physical circumstances we face, we have the power of God and the promises of God, and they give us great contentment, joy, and peace as we lean into His power and we lean into His promises. That's what we do. And thirdly, we focus more on spiritual and less on our desire for the physical, and then we will be more content with what we have. We will have more to share and more to give, which will lead to even more contentment and satisfaction and joy in the journey. Contentment is actually not a difficult concept, but it's complicated to live out. But it always functions best when it becomes more of Him and less of me. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you so much for our time here, and I pray, Lord, that, that this would be a truth that I would personally internalize more and more every day, and Lord, that you would give every single person taking this in the strength to learn to live a life of contentment so that they can have more joy in life, and they can be a great joy to others. In your name I pray, amen.